So uh, some of you just missed two, two things before we get on. Uh, number one, these sessions are being recorded. So if you need to get the rec recordings, then they'll be available through the church uh, because I'm giving you quite a lot of information and it isn't easy to take it all in. Second thing is, <clears throat> my minister, the, the notes to this are available to you and the website is Mike, M-I-K-E, Connell, C-O-N-N-E-L-L, ministries.com. And you can just download, if you use a computer, the whole manual on it. I've got a couple of other manuals on uh, activating gifts of the spirit and free uh, spiritual authority. And then there's endless uh, audios that you can just download and tap into it and pump it out for all you like. So we just made it all for free. All right, now what we want to do now is to look at doors of entry and answer the question, how do demons get in? And then secondly, how do we get them out? And getting them out is actually quite easy. Uh, it's more understanding what Jesus' part is in this and what my part is in this. And the getting them out is not a hard job at all. Uh, people make all the, the deal about that. And there's many examples of it, but mostly when you read in the Bible, Jesus said, come out, and they came out. So that was quite sort of, sort of short. So we'll add in a bit more to it. So the first thing I want to do is just look again at the common doors of entry. As I say, people uh, lay these out in different sort of ways. But I want to give you a reasonably comprehensive outline of how spirits get in. And once the spirits got in, you, it's characterized by torments and problems which do not seem to go away. They're repeated problems, cyclical problems that won't go away. Now, you've got to remember this, that while they're energized by the demon, they are still your personal problem. And therefore, you can't blame the demon. The demon is like the power steering. You know, if you have a power steering, still your steering wheel, you still got hold of it. But when you've got power steering, man, that steering's quite different when you've got a power steering because something is working with you in this. So that's how we're, we're empowered by the Holy Ghost. He works with us, but we've still got to work. <clears throat> with demons, they work and energize and press and torment and harass and keep the pressure on you and then constantly and relentlessly accuse you so you never feel good enough. And that's where the majority of Christians live their life, bound by strongholds, never feeling good enough, and never able to just enjoy the freedom of being in love with Jesus and being able to enjoy being free. <laughs> Glory, you know. I mean, the Holy Ghost, yeah, the Bible says the kingdom of heaven is righteousness in right connection with God and peace, hearts free from turmoil. And, well, you don't hear much of that in church these days. See, everyone looks so serious. But joy in the Holy Ghost. Holy Spirit's incredibly joyful. You know, and I, I find I get here, I get with your pastors, and we just laugh in the moment we get together. Joy in the Holy Ghost. Infectious. Laughter is very attractive. Heaven is full of laughter. Jesus smiles a lot. <laughs> People don't realize that, do you? See, the Bible says he was anointed with the oil of gladness or the oil of joy more than anyone. So he's the happiest, joyful person that you ever met. That's why kids liked them. Kids like smiley faces. We want to have a look at your face sometime and see how smiley it is and how attractive, how likable you are as a person. A lot of Christians have got so much baggage inside them. And, and really, the problem is not the baggage. The problem is what we believe about it all. Jesus made, made, just made total provision for all your baggage to go. You don't have to live with it. Uh, he made provision for us to live a great life. You know, I've come that you might have life, have it, abundantly, you know, and more abundantly. Well, that's pretty good, isn't it, eh? So that means I should be pumping with life and joy. People say, how come you're so happy? Don't you realize what's going on in the nation? Say, yeah, I know all of that, but boy, I know something else. <laughs> I got access to something else. But that's the life of the spirit. And so, so part of this deal is not just finding out about the demons, get the demons out. It's actually learn how to live and walk in the power of the spirit. That's where the real love's found, where the victory's found, where the joy's found. Okay, so we want to look at the, the, the common doors of entry. So I want to look under just the three headings. Number one, legal rights. Number two, trauma experiences. Number three, reactions to trauma or painful experiences. 
and uh, of course these, these, these have all got things you could develop on them, but I'll just give you an overview and uh, then you've got an idea of where we go. Okay then, so first of all, legal rights. A legal right means a right by law to uh, take a certain action. So for example, the Bible says Jesus uh, uh, ministered with great authority and power. The word authority is the word, it's uh, exousia, delegated legal right to speak and act on behalf of someone else. So God has given us authority to tread on serpents, scorpions, all the power, dunamis of the enemy, nothing shall harm you. You don't see a lot of it happening, by the way, but however, it does say it in the Bible that Jesus has given us authority. That's a legal right to represent him, a legal right to speak and act on his behalf. And that means confront the demonic realm. A lot of Christians are too passive. They just get in and worship Jesus and pray some prayers and hope it'll all be all right. But he says, I have given you authority. So time to claim back what Jesus said is yours. When it says he redeemed me, he paid the full price for me to be free. I got to stand in that and confront anything that would take it away. Amen. See, there's a price of liberty. It's eternal vigilance, I think someone said. You've got to be vigilant and got to stand up and give voice to your faith. And the demons will always try to keep people locked up in your problems with a sense of despair and hopelessness. So a stronghold is a mindset that is filled with despair that it could ever be different. And so those, the devil uses very simple weapons against Christians that work over and over and over and over. God wants you to rise up inside, be free inside, free of that stuff. Okay, so let's get on to it then. Legal rights. So legal rights, uh, rights by law. In other words, you've broken the law or someone's broken the law and established a ground for a demon to get in. Now we'll see when we look at what Jesus did that Jesus at the cross dealt with all legal rights he, at the cross, he dealt with all traumas, hurts, sorrows, and griefs. And at the cross, he dealt with all curses. We'll find all three things he addressed on the cross. That's why when you look at the work of the cross, it describes in quite a lot of detail the things that he accomplished. And why? Because these are the things the demons use to exploit people and oppress people. So you need the full scope of what Jesus did. And I, I can't deal with it all here but we'll at least give some scope of it. But uh, let's have a look. So number one, generational curses, generational curses. In Exodus 20, verse four to six, the Bible says, if we're involved in idolatry, then the iniquity is passed from generation to generation up to four generations. There are a number of scriptures that uh, talk about that in Deuteronomy 5, 9. The impact of iniquity will roll on from generation to generation up to four generations. In Deuteronomy 23, it says that where there's illegitimacy or a person is born out of wedlock, there's a curse of rejection sits on them that lasts 10 generations. That's scary thought, isn't it? So, we, so the first thing is, well, what is a curse? What is a generational curse? What is the power behind it? And then how would you recognize if it was there? Uh, and again, I'll just give you the abbreviated version. So a curse... Uh, is, a, is, is words that are spoken that release spiritual power, destructive power. So a curse, a word spoken that release destructive spiritual power. So God has spoken, for example, uh, that any person that commits idolatry, it says that the curse of that or the impact of that will be generational, four generational. So that is basically making a statement about the impact of breaking God's law. And uh, so a curse, a generational curse, is a, then a power that operates from one generation to the other, producing repeated problems generationally. So, for example, if you go to your doctor and, uh, and the doctor will ask, tell me about your family medical history. You say, forget that, just talk to me. You know? And he said, I want to find out about your parents. I want to find out about family members. I said, why do you want to know that? Because we've learned that medical problems can be found in families. We know whether we're dealing with a one-off or whether we're dealing with a generational issue and a genetic weakness in the whole family line. 
insurance companies. They ask you the question, tell me about your medical history, tell me about your family background. Why? Because they're found by experience that if there's something in a family line, it's more likely to turn up in your life as well. So why would it be so strange that spiritual problems, negative cycles of failure and oppression would repeat generationally? It's the most obvious thing that would happen. And so uh, generational curses and the power behind them are demonic spirits or familial spirits, spirits which stay in a family line. So some families, when the child is born, they already are set up for a problem in their life because the family has opened its life to demonic spirits. Why is this so? Well, very simple. God's connected, God's plan is that we are generationally connected. So God sees family lines. And he said, so family blessing, God designed us to be connected genetically and spiritually so there'd be a flow of blessing from obedience of one person through to all the other family members. So that would increase blessing, 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 blessing. It would just increase. The problem is when man sinned, now exactly the opposite can happen. Cursing can flow generation to generation. So, uh, so cursing. So what would cause that to happen? Well, there are a whole number of reasons. It can be found in Deuteronomy 27, but the common ones that we have observed is uh, one is idolatry, uh, the worship of idols of any kind, which is very common in Asian African countries in a very overt way, uh, but also in Western countries, Freemasonry opens the door because it's idolatrous at its root, occultic at its root, uh, it also opens up the door. So um, uh, any occultic activity uh, means divination, fortune telling of any kind, any sort of fortune telling opens the door, direct communication with evil spirits, uh, and there's a whole range of those kinds of things. Uh, um, uh, any involvement uh, in witchcraft or sorcery, which is magic. Now, of course, as we'll see in a moment, that's a second major doorway of entry. But if it's in your family line, then chances are that that power that Granny had is a demonic spirit, and that demonic spirit is now just transferred and come down the line that she had a familiar spirit working with her. So when we talk about uh, psychics and so on, we're talking about people with a familiar spirit. I'll explain that shortly. So idolatry, uh, um, sexual sin, uh, sexual abuse or sexual perversions in the family open the door for curses as well. So many times you've got no idea what's happened in the family. Sometimes you do. But I have found that if you pray for the family tree to be exposed, it's quite, and then you start to do some inquiries, it's quite surprising how much stuff comes out. Suddenly you get to talk to a relative. Oh, didn't you know about so-and-so? Oh, didn't you hear about so-and-so? Oh, didn't you know? Well, they, you know, this is this. And suddenly you find out that, uh, you know, there's, there's issues in the family backgrounds. So you can get them by inquiry or get them by direct revelation from the Holy Spirit. So where there's incest, for example, which is a significant and a common problem, there's a major curse of unclean spirits run through the family. Uh, another one related to that, which introduces sexual perversion in a big way, is, is uh, bestiality, which is uh, uh, sexual relations with animals. Now that you'd think, whoa, does that happen? You better believe it happens. And uh, particularly in rural areas, uh, and um, you'd be surprised. And it introduces huge curses into the family. So children are born with sexual problems, and then they manifest these things quite young at age, when you would say they, they're, not even, they're not even near puberty. Why would they be so preoccupied with sexual images and pictures? It's because there's a sexual demon uh, that has, has come down through the family line. Um, so, so those are some of the homosexuality, murders and crimes. So there's a whole, quite a range of things can open the way for demonic powers to come down a family line. And Deuteronomy uh, emphasized that. So how would you recognize if they were there? You'd just look in a family tree and you'd see patterns that seem to repeat. They just seem to be the same repetition of patterns. Now, there's more than one reason for it, but a primary reason is a cursing uh, with demonic spirits operating. So if you saw repeated patterns of sickness, uh, that would be an indication perhaps of a curse or poverty or financial failure where people should just get their head and then they suddenly fail. Uh, um, that, that's often an indication of a curse. Uh, patterns of mental or emotional problems in the family where there's lots of uh, strange people in the family. Uh, uh, 
the relatives. <laughs> They're not all from the South either. <laughs> uh, pro problems with traumas and abuse, you know, uh, in a family where you find that it seems to be repeated patterns where this, this sort of traumatic experiences seem to happen in a family or patterns where there seem to be premature deaths or suicides. Uh, you often find there's more than one in a family line. You think, what on earth is going on there? Well, there's, there's a demonic oppression. There's a curse of some kind operating in the family. Uh, barrenness, um, patterns of barrenness or miscarrying or women's problems with bleeding and so on, they can be the result of a curse, often associated with the occult or with abortions. Um, um, so broken families and marriages, uh, these can, cycle of it keeping happening down the family line can be evidence this cursing's operating. A uh, uh, person being accident prone, some people seem to be really accident prone, that can be evidence there's something operating there. Seems like they're the only one that ever gets the accident, you know, they're just like a magnet for accidents. You've got to think, magnet for accidents, what's the magnet? What's the power? It's a demonic spirit. Uh, and, uh, and then I found also the, uh, I think that the inability to settle continually on the move and never settling, I think is evidence of a curse because Cain had that and the curse that came on him was he could never settle, he become a vagabond or never able to settle. And I, I've prayed for a, a number of people now that were just never able to put roots down anywhere. They would just be there for a while and then they feel this, uh, uh, the Aborigines call it walkabout. You've got to go walk about. They've just got to leave and go somewhere. But it's actually a demonic power behind it that stops. Because to produce any, uh, to be fruitful, you've got to put roots down, remain, and build relationships, and stay long enough at stuff that you get fruit. So if you're continually moving, you're always losing your harvest. So something's not right in all of that. And that was the curse that came upon Cain. Okay, so there's one. So one is generational uh, uh, sources. Uh, I prayed for one girl and she had these uh, uh, fantasies, pictures of the, uh, unclean images, male sexual organs. When she's only about three or four, she had no exposure of any kind to anything. But she had, and when I checked the family background, I found that there'd been major issues in both the parents' lives in the background. And the child then grew up with these problems. I could share lots of stories about that. It's in the Bible. You notice David, his family was, uh, uh, was blighted with uh, perversion and murder all the way down his family line. Huge problem for him as a consequence of murdering and committing adultery. So, so clearly these things happen. You follow down Abraham's line, you find Abraham uh, was actually quite a timid, fearful person. Uh, there's a whole number of reasons to see that, that that's how he was, but he lied about his wife and then his son did the same thing and his grand, grandson, he was even worse. He was just a liar, Jacob, a twister by birth, you know? And so you, you see a pattern in the family line. So these things are there and they come to understand much more problems, much more issues come down to life through, through these ways. Uh, second key area of legal rights is occult practices. Occult practices, Deuteronomy uh, Deuteronomy 18 verse 9 to 12 talks about occult practice. This is an increasing problem now. It's an increasing problem. Uh, one, it's glamorized on TV and in the media. That's one of the things. Two, uh, people are hungry for spiritual experience and the church often is very lacking in this area and so they go searching where they can find it. Uh, three, many, many people are coming up out of broken families and are looking and hungering for power because they lack identity and feel a struggle in their life. So they get drawn into this whole area of fortune-telling divination and then into sorcery. Now, uh, of course, you, you know, you've had the, uh, the run, of course, of these various movies that they just glamorize the whole magic area and make it seem like it's a great and wonderful thing. And so someone who's got relational problems will be easily drawn into it. And once they get drawn into it and open their life to a spirit through Ouija boards, through casting spells, all that kind of stuff, they get hooked up. Uh, a common thing that I'm observing more and more now, and, and it really, it goes back, lack of fathers, broken homes, lack of identity. I found people entering into the realm of fantasy games on the internet. Yes. Now, this is a big problem for demonizing people because the core issue is one of identity. Now, a lot of the games are what you call role-playing games, where you get in there and you take on a role. Now, they take on a role maybe of a sorcerer. Say, one of the games there, 
world of Warcraft is particularly damaging for this purpose. And, and what happens, they get and take it on, and then they start to get into this thing where you're casting spells, you're destroying people, you're gaining power. In fact, actually, in the fantasy area of your mind and imagination, you're now engaging in the world of witchcraft, of sorcery. Now, Jesus' words were, if you look after a woman or look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery. So now take that and apply that into this area where someone's looking with lust and longing in their heart for power and they commit sorcery and open their life to sorcery. I remember I was in a Bible school in, in Singapore and we had about 800 students there and I had a word of knowledge on this and a young man came up and uh, I asked him and he, was play he played these games, he was addicted to playing the games and just on it all the time. And uh, anyway, he got, he, he, I said, well, would you be willing to renounce the game and renounce the character? And he said, yes, I would. So in front of the whole school, he renounced the game, renounced the character, led him through a prayer to confess Christ, renounce the game, renounce the character. And as soon as he did it, he began to manifest and his face changed physically. The demon manifest, he fell on the ground, started yelling and, and whatever, and it shocked the whole school. And we had a, he got set free and we had an altar call. 200 students came up that were locked into the same stuff. And it was quite shocking because here they are in a Bible school studying how to serve God, and in their private time, they're engaged in sorcery and fellowshipping with demons. So this is quite an issue coming up. We, we were downtown, uh, you know, your pastor took us out, and we went downtown, I was having a look around, and, and, and literally hundreds of young people dressed in fantasy costumes. And I thought, well, that's fun, it looked great, and I was thinking about it, and then I was thinking, Actually, the real problem is it's one of identity. And so people get on another identity. So there's, there's a dimension of it which is just harmless fun dressing up. But for some, they watch the stuff so much that it becomes a fantasy realm of escaping from the real life and then it becomes a danger and they become oppressed and that kind of stuff. So good to be aware of that, isn't it, eh? So occult practices, that's any kind of uh, sorcery, magic, spells, casting charms, all that kind of thing, or divination, any kind of fortune telling, uh, calling up spirits, uh, looking for, uh, going to uh, diviners, going, all that kind of stuff. Uh, sexual sin is another major doorway, sexual sin. And the reason it's a major sin is this. God set a law in place, the two shall become one. So when you have sexual intimacy with someone, you become one with them legally. Now, if you have been joined in marriage and a legal covenant of marriage, then this is a lawful joining and a godly soul tie. If you have not been married, then you've not formed a covenant. You're breaking and violating God's law. And so what happens to still become one, but now the tie is an ungodly tie. And so when the two people, uh, that means that anyone, so two become one, if that person has got demons or been involved with people with demons, they all have legal right to come to you because you have become one with them. Well, right. see, why would it be so difficult to understand that when you know that if you sleep with someone who's got uh, AIDS or some sexual disease, that you can, they can transmit that to you? And so physically, you can end up with a disease. Why would it be so strange that by doing this, you would not be demonized or potentially open your life to oppression. And that's not, it's so partly it's because of who you slept with and what they were connected to, and you've become one, so legal ground is established for them to access. The second is that when the two break up and drift and go because it's just a physical thing and emotional thing, what you don't realize is there was a soulish attachment. So the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 17 and 18, that when you become involved sexually, it says every sin you do is outside your body, but this one is different that a part of the other person comes into you. So therefore there's memories, there's attachments, your soul and spirit become bonded and, a, and something is imparted into you. And so if you're torn apart because you have no covenant of marriage, now you walk away and you've got some part of you is imparted to someone else and you've got some part of someone else in you. So how does that work out? Well, what it means is this, you have enough relationships like that your soul becomes so scattered, it has trouble being intimate with one person. So when you get married, you have these issues. Number one, you get these memories of past relationships come back. Two, you have vivid pictures return of previous sexual relationships. Three, you start to find longing, still keep going out to other people, even though you love the person and you're married to them. 
And four, there's a diff- the, feel- the person can feel the presence of other people sometimes. Oh, we won't go too far into that area. But uh, see, sexual intimacy is a gift of God. God designed us for intimacy. Worship, worship is being intimate with God. And the part of your brain that's involved in worship and intimacy with God is the same part involved in sexual sin. So, so when a person is worshiping and engaging God, the part of their brain firing up is the same part as if they're being involved sexually with their spouse. So that's why it says that sexual sin is, wor- is worse than other sins, not just because it's a worse sin. All sins sin. It's, it's, it's worse because its impact affects you in the area of your capacity for intimacy, and that is precious to God who designed us for intimacy. He wants us to be able to enjoy intimacy with him and intimacy with another person and intimacy in relationship. But that requires that you keep yourself from being defiled. And so sexual sin brings defilements that people can't seem to get free of except by being set free. And so with sexual sin, there comes not only the potential of defilement by demons, but also there's soul ties. And when the person breaks up, usually their reactions to the pain of it and the building of walls in the heart that makes future intimacy difficult. Oh, got real quiet. Yes, I'm talking to the person next to you, okay? This has got nothing to do with you. <laughs> okay, so we'll just better keep, move on. So um, sin habits, uh, uh, patterns of sin in our life, which, uh, I mean, there's all kinds of things, but when sin is established in our life, that creates legal grounds uh, for demons to come in our life. So uh, patterns of sin, you know, alcohol, Drugs, there's all kinds of things. The whole Bible's got a list of whole things. So patterns of sin. Once a, just you, some sins you sin, uh, there's no demon will come in, but then there's others. You get into a pattern of it, and then it becomes a problem. So what turned out to be a comfort then becomes an addiction and demonized. Uh, so, but there are other sins like engaging with evil spirits that can demonize you immediately. So you just need to be aware that legal rights. So the second year is the year of traumatic experiences. Traumatic experiences. Traumatic experience is an experience uh, which creates deep pain or shock or affects the soul in a dramatic way. So it can be a sudden experience, which is intense, or it can be a prolonged stress experience. So it can be either. You know? And so when a person has a trauma, what happens is that they don't always remember all the impact. I've never been in a car crash, you don't always remember all of it. It's like... Uh, Best way to describe it's like this. If, if a stone hit the windscreen of your car, often, instead of it just um, coming right through and a major damage in one place, the thing's designed so it spreads right through the screen. So your screen kind of all, it spreads the blow. And that means you don't suddenly get shards of glass just come through and penetrate you. It's a safety mechanism. So it seems like God's designed us. When we have a trauma that the memory and the effects of it spread through body, soul, and spirit. And so traumas can actually be, the memories can be retained in the body cells. It actually affects everything. Uh, and so I have found, I've, I'm looking at this a bit more now because I've realized it's a much bigger issue than I had originally thought. Uh, and so we found that traumatic experiences can affect us. For example, I prayed with one lady and uh, she had a problem of numbness all down her arm and inability to use her right hand. I said, what happened? She said, well, I had a car accident. I said, how long ago? Ten years. I said, oh, really? And she said, uh, is there anything wrong? What's, why does she, the arm not function? She said, the doctors have got no idea why the arm is not functioning. Everything seems to be okay. But I'm, I'd have no feeling whatsoever and limited use. And I said, well, why don't we just treat it as a trauma and pray? And so in Jesus' name, we just broke the soul tie, attaching her and bonding her to the traumatic experience. And I commanded the spirit of infirmity that entered her at the time of the trauma to go. And then said, now check it out. And she could feel and her hand could move. So she had a trauma and the demon used it as an opportunity to come in and create affliction. I I share lots of stories like that. So what sort of experiences... um, uh, create these difficulties. Well, let me give you, I'm, I'm just going to list them quickly without going into them, just so you've got an idea, and some of you might just suddenly trigger something off. Uh, one area that I'm looking at uh, and researching just at the moment 
is the issue of prenatal experiences because I've come to realize that the last five years research has totally upended all beliefs about the development of the child in the womb and so now they realize that children uh, are deeply aware of experiences while they're in the womb. They actually are aware and retain the memory of that. So let me just give you a few things. Uh, one is prenatal experiences, so a child in the womb that's rejected by the mother. Uh, they didn't want the child. It was an unwanted pregnancy. Uh, maybe it was the child of a rape. Uh, maybe it was an uh, inconvenient time. Uh, a child in the, in the womb can, can experience the trauma of not being wanted. Uh, it may be that the mother uh, had difficult influences on her life. She's full of fear, anxiety. Maybe she was addicted. Uh, uh, you know, all of those kind of things. Maybe in the, the environment she's living in is in a place of conflict and turmoil. All of that the child is aware of, and children become demonized while they're in the womb. And the effect is immediately apparent in the problems and bonding and behavioral issues as the child starts out into its journey in life. Birth traumas can create problems for children as well, uh, where the cord gets tangled around, near-death experience uh, with the cord, premature birth, cesarean. Premature birth can create significant issues. Uh, now, years ago, um, they believed that the best thing for the premature child was to put them in a little, little box incubator and keep them safe from everything. What they didn't realize is one of the key things a child needs is touch. And so you've had a whole generation of children that were prem babies, and most of them struggle with issues of spirits of abandonment and issues of intimacy because the things they really needed in the first phase of life wasn't there, and the trauma of it opened the door for spirits. And uh, so, so yeah, uh, this is why you find in, in, this, in, in our generation, you've got a lot of people unable to intimately connect properly disconnected from relationships and emotions and got all kinds of issues of their own. Uh, so, but um, sometimes a, a child, um, there's a death, near-death experience as they're being born or even in the womb. Spirit of death can come in. Uh, toxicity in the mother while the child's in the womb. Uh, the, child, the child is aware of it. Recent experiments that they've done when they've done sonic scanning of a child in the womb and introduced a needle in the child was now remember can't see but knew where the needle was and could reach out and touch it withdrew to the far end of the uterus because it saw it as a problem so new scientific discoveries indicated that children in the womb are acutely aware of the environment that they're in uh, even they're aware when the mother is talking to them and talking to someone else, when the father's talking to them and talking to someone else, or if there's a conflict. So traumas in the womb can open the first door for experiences. And of course, people are not even aware what's happened. Um, childhood traumas are being rejected as a child for a variety of reasons, maybe a uh, slow developer, um, maybe uh, issues of some physical uh, deformity or some physical limitation. A child's been adopted, a child's been abandoned. Uh, given away, these usually have huge issues. Um, they found in Romania, for example, uh, many Americans adopted children from Romania after the doors opened up, and most of the kids from Romania that were orphans were all just left alone unattended with no touch, and, and what they found was the initial act of kindness and bringing them into a loving home was then followed by great trauma because no one knew the effect of the isolation of the children on, on, on their, them becoming demonized and all the problems that they have growing up. So it's created some huge difficulties. Uh, family turmoil, uh, abuse growing up, physical abuse, uh, violence, physical violence, verbal violence, uh, sexual abuse, all of these traumatize a child and the effect is for them to become demonized as well as uh, having blocks and issues of uh, grief and trauma in the soul that need to be healed as well. Divorce, family goes through divorce, often child's deeply impacted by that. Uh, not the least is they feel that somehow they're to blame. Uh, many of them develop beliefs that if only I could have done more, I could have held this together. And this then becomes a demonic, energized belief system that creates problems and stresses and demands uh, right through life. I remember praying for a woman recently and her mother had... Um, uh, there'd been a breakup in the family. She felt the mother was the mother was an alcoholic, and was literally unable to function. And this woman felt responsible for the mother, first for the mother, and then for the rest of the family. And so she took on this huge belief system that I've got to fill in and carry the load. And of course, it become demonically empowered, and then they're unable then to say no to anything in in a sense of becoming giving out, but never able to enjoy or receive for themselves. 
Uh, so, so fears, uh, divorce, sickness, uh, extended sickness can create um, trauma. Uh, accidents, child having an accident can produce trauma. Uh, frightening experiences as a child. Uh, I remember uh, praying for one person and his father used to love to scare him. And as an adult, he got this terrible spirit of fear. Father thought it was a big joke. You know, frightened him, you know, and, and uh, kid was traumatized. <laughs> he ended up with a demon. <laughs> you know, so. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so at school, uh, death, death of a close friend. Sometimes the parents are dysfunctional. A child bonds to a grandparent. The death of the grandparent can produce a trauma and then. There's a soul tied to the dead person and a spirit of death sits on them and they never get over the grief. Prayed for someone recently and they were still grieving years after the loss of a grandparent. And there was just this conflict in the home, attachment to the grandparent and then never able to let go of the grief. It's like they were just stuck as though it was yesterday. And there's a spirit of death and grief sitting around their life. Uh, um, school experiences. Uh, with teachers can be traumatic. Uh, teachers are not all nice, and some of them create, do humiliating things on students, uh, and sometimes students do as well. And you, you've been all very aware of, um, you know, recently if people have been bullied, abused, and they've committed suicide. Uh, so, so school is not always uh, healthy for people. And then another area for younger children is the issue uh, where there's deep loneliness, and they get um, uh, they get an invisible friend. You all kind of think of visible friend, but some of them have still got the invisible friend years later. It's actually a familiar spirit, and it just is their friend. They can see it, no one else can, and talks to them and comforts them. So these are all kind of things. Then, of course, there's teen and adult traumas of broken relationships, divorce, those kind of things, accidents or near-death experience or, or abusive situations. So as I've just given you kind of like a, a, an overview without going into much of it, but the things I've mentioned are very real experiences people have, and... Demons use it to afflict people and gain an access in there. Now, what happens when a person's gone through pain? Demon will come in there and lock them in on the trauma, so they can't, they're locked, the trauma's locked in around their life. Then the person begins to try and cope with the pain. Now, how we cope with pain? There's two ways we can deal with pain, or well, three ways. One is we can deny it's there at all. Nothing wrong with me. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, or we can, uh, we can bring Christ into it and, and, and open our life for him to come and be the comforter, the healer, the restorer. Or we can try and control our world, which seems the best option when you're young. And so for most people growing up who don't realize that Jesus can come and help them and can come and save them and can come and deliver them, that he's interested not just in saving us from sin, but also from the painful things in life, being a comforter and a friend, then we try and control it. Now, there's a number of ways people control it or, or, or react to the problems they have. So one is to build a strong control mechanism that just shuts down all connection to the inner man. They just shut down their emotions, just block off. Now, let me just list for you some common reactions, and then we'll talk on how you get out of them. And, uh, uh, and as, as, so here's, here's some of them. One of, them. one of the most uncommon things that happens is we become soul-tied to these experiences. In other words, there's like a bonding, and you can't seem to get free of it. So if someone's been abused, they seem to be unusually attached to the abuser and can't seem to break free. It's quite an extraordinary thing you find often women they've been abused by men and they can't seem to break free they need support because one there's a control spirit operating two they're soul tied and are locked into the person so soul ties can be a problem uh, which is a bonding between people ungodly soul ties another thing is bitter judgments where people come to a bitter conclusion where you never trust men they'll always do this so the words that give away a bit of judgment are the words never and always well, never trust a woman. They'll always try to control you. Uh, you know, uh, never trust a, a person in authority. And they'll always do this kind of stuff to you. So people make these judgments rooted in bitterness, and that creates like a negative belief. I, I remember praying for one guy, and he's having trouble with the cell group leader. So anyway, the cell group leader brought him in. We had a bit of a talk. I said, hey, getting on at work? He said, oh, not too good. And uh, so I got a new, new, new job, and the boss is not getting on too well with the boss. I said, well, what was the last job you had? He told me, and I said, how'd you get on there? So I left because I had a row with the boss. Oh, okay. 
I said, was there anything you really liked doing? He said, oh, I liked being in the army. I said, oh, sounds great. He told me about the army. He said, well, how'd you get on with the officers? Oh, they're always picking on me. I said, oh, really? That's interesting. I said, tell me about your school years. Oh, well, you know, I never got on with the teachers. I left early. I said, oh, really? And then I said, well, what about your dad? He said, oh, I never got on with my dad. He kicked me out of home. Actually, it wasn't my dad. It was my stepdad. I said, I think I see a pattern here. <laughs> I almost have to be blind to see it. But actually, people don't see it. That's what sin does, disease. So he couldn't see the pattern. And I said, I tell you what the problem is. The problem is you are bitter at your natural parents for adopting you, rejecting you. You don't know why they rejected you, why they adopted you out, but you perceive they've rejected you and you are bitter and you expect all people will reject you. And you're setting up relationship things and that expectation is being outworked. It's like a negative faith and every place you're with authorities, you're pulling this thing into your life. And I said, unless you repent of it, you're going to have issues. And he just recently had another issue. Again, he, it's like he couldn't see it, just didn't want to see that bitter judgments uh, reap. They defile your relationships and pull stuff into your life. Uh, uh, a second thing, uh, a third thing is inner vows. Many times people make an inner vow. Well, I'll never let any man near to me. I'll just never trust anyone again. I'll, I'll never let any woman into my heart again. I'll never. So, so an inner vow is usually characterized by the words, I'll never, never again, never. And it's like, you know, it's like his inner vow. You make an inner vow as a vow spoken into yourself. We, we actually refuse or you vow. And basically it's a hardening of the heart. And, and they become demonically inspired. That's what locks people up. And, uh, and uh, many have made these inner vows. Another one that locks people up is death wishes. Well, I just wish I was dead. It's so painful. I wish I could die. I want to die. I want to die. You know, and there's people in the Bible prayed that prayer. Moses prayed it and Elijah prayed it. And, and, uh, and when people are in pain and can't find a way out, they say, I just wish I was dead. person gets humiliated. I wish I was dead. But it's coming to agreement with the spirit of death. And that can shut you down. So I have found commonly, get this, commonly in the area of sexual sin, the shame is so great for the woman, they say, I just wish I was dead. And I found very often the sexual sin and always where there's sexual abuse, this thing of a death wish needs to be dealt with. It's also like that often where there's a trauma or abuse of a relationship in the home. And uh, then finally, patterns of sin, just uh, reacting in bitterness and hate and anger uh, or... Uh, sins of comfort where people become addicted to just try and feel the pain. So you notice now legal grounds created by sin, traumatic experiences, and then reactions to the trauma to try and cope with the pain or fix it up. And these things form a group or cluster and demons just use all of them as a way to get into people's life to hold them into bondage. The, the answer is very si simple to getting free. There are two aspects to the freedom. The first is to understand what Jesus has done. Jesus, God completely understood how he's made us and how we'd be affected by sin. So it tells us very clearly, and notice this, if, if you go into uh, Colossians chapter 2, 14, 15, 16, this is what you find. He says, it says, he removed the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, having taken it out of the way and nailing it to the cross. Isn't that amazing? Well, what's that referring? So every legal right that any demon could have against you, Jesus took it on himself, took it to the cross. Right. And notice what it says after that, in doing so, disarmed spiritual powers. That's the rights they're using to gain access to people. So when he died on the cross, he actually substituted for us and then took away the legal right. And so it's a wonderful thing he's done. And the Bible says that the demons knew they'd never have crucified him. He tricked them. And put him up on a cross. Here's the second thing about the cross. It says in Galatians 3.13, he became a curse for us because cursed is everyone who's now to a cross. So in the Old Testament law, God pronounced a curse that any person that was put on a tree was cursed or hung on a tree was cursed. Years, this was Hundreds of years before the Romans turn up, hundreds of years before the crucifixion, little known verse, demons come and stir the Romans up and the, and the, and the, and the people up and they crucify Jesus, not realizing when they did that, he fooled them again. Now he become a curse so that all the curses can be broken, blessing can come upon us, we receive a spirit. Isn't that amazing? It's so amazing.
And then you have a look in Isaiah 53. And you find other things. He took our griefs, took our sorrows, took our rejection. He was despised and rejected men. Took it all. Our betrayals, all the traumas of life. He was traumatized for us. Physical sin. By his stripes we healed. He took away. Now get this. He took away our iniquity. Iniquity is that thing that goes down from generation to generation. Listen, at the cross, Jesus cleaned up everything. It's the most amazing thing. Wow, we could well do to study more on what he accomplished at the cross. There's not one aspect of our human existence where it's destroyed or affected or impacted by spirits or or demons that he hasn't redeemed. Redeemed means he paid the full price. No wonder when he hung on the cross, he said, finished. The demons had no idea what he had done. Says if they'd known, they would never have crucified him. They didn't realize that every possible weapon, iniquity, curses, griefs and sorrows and traumas, sicknesses, sins, anything used against a person, he dealt with a whole lot at the cross. He leg- now legally he dealt with it, meaning he paid the price to appropriate freedom. Our part is to step up in faith and meet what his requirements are to receive it. So for example, you know that Jesus died for every person in the world. However, they're not all saved. And the reason they're not all saved is they, one, haven't heard the word. Two, they haven't come to place of repentance and faith. So there is a part we play. So God has done his part. Our part is to arise and believe. Now, what that looks like is simply this. And these are kind of the keys for getting set free. Uh, number one, personal responsibility. You've got to fess up. You've got to own up. And those playing the victims say, it's not my fault, it's my father, it was my mother. It's no use going down that route of playing the perpetual victim. Listen, if you've got a problem, it's your problem. If you've got demons, it's your demon. It is your issue. So blame, you've got to stop blaming. Blame means you're not taking responsibility. Now, does that mean there aren't people contributing? Well, if someone's abused you, yeah, you've got every reason to blame them. But while you blame them, you cannot see the part you play. Now, they may have been responsible for the trauma, but you're responsible for how you react. And your bitterness and unforgiveness keeps you locked to what they did. So we must, first of all, take, uh, respond, recognize and take responsibility for our sin. Proverbs 28, 13. If you confess and forsake, you'll find mercy. Cover it up, you don't get anywhere. Uh, re- second thing is repentance and confession of sin. We actually have to repent of the part we played that got us in the problem. And repent. Jesus said, repent, the kingdom of heaven's at hand. I've changed your thinking. You know, we've been thinking crazy, thinking wrong. See, when a person's holding unforgiveness, it seems to be the right thing to do. Ah, you don't understand how he hurt me. I've got every reason to me. Well, you have indeed. But that's not a good way of thinking because that's not going to get you anywhere. It's going to get you full of demons and bitterness, you know. So we need to repent. 2 Timothy 2.24 tells us very clearly that we must repent if we want to be set free. Repent to be set free. And uh, so repentance and confession of sins. If we confess our sins, 1 John 1, 9, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So you can see there, the flow is very, very clear. So my part is to own up. I've got a problem. It's mine. Well, it doesn't matter whether it's generational or not, it's still yours. You're part of that line, you know. You know, the prophet, they were saying, you know, the, the, the religious leaders were saying, well, if, if we'd been there, we'd never have crucified, you know, we'd never have, uh, you know, stoned the prophets. And Jesus said, well, you just condemn yourself because you tell me you're the children of the people who did it. So you, you are responsible. You, it's all sitting on top of you. Okay, so we must uh, repent and, and confess. Uh, the third thing that's a requirement for deliverance, and that is forgiving others. We must forgive others. Mark eleven twenty five. When you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive. Jesus made it very clear in his teaching that people who don't forgive are subject to torment. You know, in Matthew 18, 34, 35, the guy who wouldn't forgive was delivered to tormentors. Now, now this is a big issue, and I can't spend time on it, but if I could just say very clearly that we're to forgive others as God forgave us, and God forgave us just willingly. 
He just forgave everything. So the list he's forgiven us so big, why not let that little list go? But see, unforgiveness is a debt. It's a demand you owe me. See, anger is a demand. You took something. You owe me. And, and maybe you owe me an apology. You owe me a sorry. You know, you owe me, you know, repay something bad. Whatever it is, it's all about you owe me. You've done me wrong, you know, and you owe me. And so it's a demand that someone put it right. And so when we come to the cross, we understand the nature of the kingdom is someone else paid the price so we could be free. We get forgiven freely. It's just the grace and goodness of God. He wants us to live in grace and pass grace on. So when I read that story of the unforgiving servant, I realize he was forgiven by grace, but when he refused to extend grace, it affected his positioning. And he ended up in the place of torment that he never wanted to be. So you can't afford to hold unforgiveness and bitterness in your heart. And you can tell, usually there's a coldness comes with it. There's a lack of joy. There's a, there's a seriousness over people's faces. And you know they're bitter inside. People don't feel bitter, but sometimes they look it. You look on their face. <laughs> you know, I think, whoa. Stay away. You know. Then they say they love Jesus. Whoa. Stay away. So, so bitterness is a poison. It defies all relationships. It, it comes out on the face, first of all, and it comes out with cutting comments. You know, just a little couple of words. You know, and it, you know, and you, you cuts. You know, and and you know, a spirit of murder is behind it. There's always a spirit of murder behind it. Well, it doesn't bring life; it brings death to you. You get hurt by some. You know, words, you know, words can bring death or life. So when someone's bitter and unforgiving, it'll always show up. They want to punish. They want to get someone back. You know, the Chinese have a proverb saying, 10 years is not too long to wait for revenge. Isn't that interesting? 10 years, my goodness. I've had people come up to me and tell me, you know, I've been, I've been holding unforgiveness against you for two years. I'm thinking, what? I'm blessed. <laughs> I mean, last time I told me that, I said, well, I've been going on just fine. You know? <laughs> I'm sorry you felt that way. And I'm disappointed it took you so long to actually realize it was holding you back. Really? Why would you keep an unforgiving heart? We're to be kind, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Otherwise, we grieve the Holy Spirit. Now, here's the deal. If you keep grieving the Holy Spirit, how can you walk in the power of the Spirit? I mean, you can't overcome sin and demons by just trying to be a nice person. You, you need the power of the Holy Ghost. Amen. If you have the power of the Holy Ghost, you've got to get to like what he likes and hate what he hates. He hates unforgiveness Amen. and malice and bitterness and angry speaking and words that tear people down. He hates all that kind of stuff. So you continually grieve the Holy Ghost. How can you walk in the power of the Spirit? Come on, get your heart right Amen. and be free. And loving, be kind. I love those words. You know, it's interesting about the Holy Ghost. Be kind, tender-hearted, forgiving. Isn't that, if Christians did more of that, it'd be great, wouldn't it? Instead of being, you know, instead of being kind, they're mean. <laughs> mean. You know, instead of being tender-hearted, hard and judgmental against sin. Oh. Oh, you know. Forgiving, no, bitter. See, so if we don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit and we'll walk in the power of the Spirit, we have to actually learn to love what he loves. And a very, care, a, 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 a very clear key for getting set free is forgiveness. Forgive unconditionally. Release people. Now, in order to forgive, you need to, be, you need to at least admit you're hurt. This, for many people, is the first part that's difficult is to actually engage how hurt I got and to be willing to let it go. So sometimes I need to journal a little bit and start to become aware, just this is how this thing affected me and this is what I've been feeling all these years. And once you admit your feelings, then you know what you're letting go of. You're letting go of all of that and releasing the person. You can't afford to just be bitter. 
You can't afford to stay chained to your past and let demons torment you. You know, move on. Move on. Release forgiveness and bless the person. Just bless them. You know, be kind to your heart. You know, Jesus said, you know, bless those who curse you. You know, be, you know, all that kind of thing. Be kind to those. Pray for those who despitefully use you. See, so a third, uh, a fourth aspect is renouncing. Sometimes we've got to actually cancel uh, judgments we've made or soul ties we've formed or agreements we've made with evil. We've actually got to speak words to break those things. Amen. And to renounce means to say some words. In Jesus' name, I just renounce that soul tie. I just break all attachments, that pornography and the images, the websites. I, I cancel all attachments to people I've been sexually involved with. I just break those attachments. I, or in the realm of the occult, I just cancel all agreements I made with evil spirits. Any invitation I made, I cancel it now in Jesus' name. In other words, see the words as being living and destroy them by different words, words that break them. So I'm about getting the words right. It's just understanding you've got something you're breaking and dealing with. You're destroying it by the words you speak. Any idea? Uh, and then we need to be quite proactive in resisting. James 4, 7, resist the humble yourself under the hand of God. When you're humbling yourself, I'm acknowledging my sin. That's humility. I'm repenting of my sin and confessing. it. That's humility. I'm releasing forgiveness. That's humility. I'm renouncing things. See, now it says, now resist the devil and he will run away from you. So many people kind of see themselves, well, I'm sort of victimized by a demon. Please help me. You know, and what you should be saying is, actually, I'm redeemed by the blood of Jesus. I need to align with God and resist. You're going to go. A lot of the demonic spirits you can deliver yourself. You just get fired up and energized in your spirit, praying in tongues, go through this process of confessing your sin, acknowledging it, confessing it, repenting, release forgiveness, renounce the thing, and then turn on it, command it to go. Cough, and then away it goes. It's not hard to be free of demons. The harder part is the preparation of your heart to acknowledge you and humble ourselves before God. Say, God, I just need you. This is where I'm really in need right now. See, that's what does it. And, uh, and, and leaning on the Lord. So we'll, just, we'll finish just at this point and have a little bit of break and then we'll come back and have time of ministry. Here's a, here's a few things, just some questions for you to think about. And do I have a problem? <laughs> do I have a problem? Oh my, where do I start? <laughs> Let's start with that. Do I have a problem? So if you have a specific problem in your life that you're wanting to get to address, and, and uh, then there's a few questions you could ask about that problem. So suppose I've got a specific problem in my life. Here's, here's some questions you could ask to think about. Was this in my family background? In other words, is there a generational root to this? It's a good question to ask. In other words, it's not just me, but actually my generations have struggled with this problem. You know, I'm reaping something someone else started. So do I need to deal with the generational root and renounce it and break the generational tie, hold the cross of Christ between me and that thing? Do I need to deal with that? So is there a generational factor in this? Second thing is, am I soul tied to someone and, that, and that's keeping me from moving forward. Is there, am I connected? Maybe it's a sexual thing or maybe it was abusive relationship and maybe it's someone I've, I've depended on and lent on or maybe a dead person even I just can't let go of my life. Is, is there some re, is that, am I attached to someone or something? It might be a website or it might be some kind of addiction. Am I got an attachment that's unhealthy? What is that attachment that's contributing to my problem? Uh, do I have any bitter judgments or expectations? Have I got any belief systems in my heart? Am I really believe, well, yeah, nothing's ever going to work out for me? That's a bitter kind of belief, really. Do I, I need to renounce that and cancel that thing. Um, do I have any inner vows? Am I made any inner vows? Well, I'm never going to do this. Have I reacted to something? Someone, you know? Yeah, I'm never going to get committed to church. I'm never going to do this. And, uh, uh, are there any word curses I've spoken over myself? I wish, wish I was dead. Or maybe word curses people spoke over me. You're stupid, and I believed it. You know, or someone spoke over me. You better not tell anyone. Or you tell anyone, you'll blow up the whole family. It'll be your fault. That that thing of secrecy is a cursing. See, so that's just sometimes these things. That, and then you know, are there any traumas that I've got? Are there any pictures in my mind that just won't go away or traumatic things that contribute to this problem? There's something like it goes right back to when this thing happened. I can't just can't get it out of my mind. And uh, are there any sin patterns, you know, where I'm, I'm really constantly angry or constantly bitter or constantly uh, negatively speaking or 
and perhaps I'm constantly trying to comfort myself. So there's sin things I need to just repent of and put right because they're part of the problem. And uh, so that leads then to the being able to get set free. It's quite helpful if you just know where to start to ask the questions. So if I was asking someone about a problem in their life, the first thing I ask, when did it first start? It was it in your family? And was it anyone you're connected to? You know, their soul ties and attached. Are there any bitter roots in there, unforgiveness that's lying in there? Are there any kind of inner vows? Are there any kind of uh, de death wishes or curses or things you've got over your life? Are there any kind of patterns of sin we need to address? If we, we'd actually just look at it like that. That's how I deal with it. So you look at the problem and then go down to the roots that feed it, pluck up all the roots, and then the problem, easy to deliverance, very easy. Getting the idea? So there it is. So probably you've got so many and there's many questions and things. So uh, we'll just take a break now for five minutes just so I can get up and walk around because it's gone a little while. And then we'll just have an opportunity to pray for people. Amen? Amen. Amen. So do come back and do bring your demons.